That is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, and we'll get into that in a second. But thank you for those of you who shared testimonies. That was incredibly powerful. And thank you for being so vulnerable as well as you shared them. And it would be great to pray for anybody for whom those testimonies hits a nerve, strikes a nerve, or feels like it opens something up for you. Um, then it's good to come forward at the end and we'd love to just pray for the Holy Spirit because we stand in faith that God has done it in the people who are a part of our family in that way and he's going to do it again in us. So we're going to pray with faith for similar healing and sim similar testimonies as well. But since we're on the subject of testimonies, I want to tell you about my gran and granddad. Um, 80 years ago, over 80 years ago, my gran met my granddad in a pub. And they struck up a conversation, got to know each other. My granddad decided to invite my gran out on a date, so they went on a date. And then it was during the Second World War, my granddad actually got called up to be go uh, in the RAF and go overseas. He actually went to Africa, of all places, and he went to Africa. And he lost touch with my gran. And then after the war had finished, he came back to London, which is where they were both from. And he was over in Piccadilly, near Piccadilly Circus, and he was crossing the road, it was like six lane road. And as he was crossing the road, he got to the island in the middle on his way to the other side. And he turned to his left and he suddenly saw my gran standing there right next to him, middle of London. And they struck up a conversation again and he was like, sorry, I lost touch. And then they decided to have another day which led on to another day and they got to know each other really well and they ended up my granddad proposing um, and they got married, but right before they got married, they, did, they were trying to work out where they wanted or how they wanted to get married. They weren't Christians at the time, so they went to their local Anglican church and asked if they could marry in the church. And there was a guy called David who was a part of that local church. He was a church warden who befriended them, and they had to do the way they did it back then, a number of classes in order to be able to get married in this church. He got to know them really well, and he supported them through their marriage. They got married, brilliant day, and then they kind of slightly lost touch with the church, didn't go back again. But this David guy, this warden, kept up this friendship with my grand and granddad over the year. And about a year into their marriage, he rang up my gran, and he said, listen, there's this guy coming to town. He's pretty famous. He's called Billy Graham, and he's speaking at this stadium. And I'd love you to come and hear him speak. And my grand and granddad didn't know who Billy Graham was, weren't really interested in the event. But because they knew this guy, and they loved him, and he was so kind to them when they got married, they agreed that they would go. And so they traveled up to Haringey um, to this huge stadium, Haringey Stadium. And when they got off of the tube there, it was absolutely rammed with people. And as a result, they lost each other in the crowd and ended up going into the stadium in two different entrances at Haringey Stadium and ended up sitting on opposite sides of the stadium, right? So they'd lost each other in the crowd. And my gran was sitting there and she's constantly anxious and worried about where my granda was. She's sitting in the stand, but as she's kind of worrying and anxious, she begins to tune in to some of what this guy was saying on the stage. And if ever you've YouTubed Billy Graham, you'll know that he explains the gospel in an incredibly simple but beautifully powerful way. And as my grand started tuning in to some of the words that this guy was saying, she suddenly noticed that it felt like her heart was on fire. It was beating really fast and felt like her heart 
was on fire. And when it got to the end of the talk, in the way that Billy Graham always did at the end of his talks, he invited people who wanted to, to come up to the front of the stage, to work their way down the steps in the stadium and stand on the grass in front of the stage and give their lives to Jesus. And when he did that call, my gran just couldn't contain herself. And she said it was like something was carrying her down the stadium onto the pitch. And she stands in front of the stage and she shuts her eyes. And Billy Graham led her through and hundreds, probably thousands of other people in this beautiful prayer of giving her life to Jesus as a result of what she just heard in the gospel. And then the prayer ends and she started getting anxious again. And she thought, how am I going to explain what's just happened to my husband of one year? This is going to be really hard to do. And she opened her eyes and she looked to her right. And my granddad was standing right next to her. And he come down off the stadium on the opposite side and unbeknownst to each other, had given their lives to Jesus right next to each other on that day. And the most beautiful thing about that story is that this guy, David, who introduced him and invited them to this event, didn't really have any idea of the impact that that had made on their life. He knew that they became a Christian, they started coming to the church, but he sadly recently died um, just because of old age, he grew to old age, my grand and granddad are dead now, and my mum wrote a little card um, for the funeral, it was during COVID time, so it was all done online, and I watched it online on YouTube, it was live streamed, and the vicar read out this card and my mum explained that because of that guy's invitation to my grand and granddad, she started talking about all the fruit that had come out of that invite down the generations in our family, that because of that, their four children were believers in Jesus. And because the four children were believed, one of whom is my mum, because they were believers in Jesus, there's this beautiful fruit amongst the grandchildren. And many of us are believers in Jesus. Some of us had a little bit of a holiday on the way and have come back to Jesus like me. Some are still on holiday. But what he said at this funeral as he read this card out is, look at the fruit that has come from this man's life. And the beauty of that story is it all started with one invitation. One invitation. And what I want to say tonight is that every single one of us represented in this room, for every person we have contact with, whether we feel like it's a deeper relationship, whether we feel like it's a relationship that we've had for a year or so, it's surface level, it's on our street, it's a work colleague, it's someone at work, it's somebody in our family. Every single person that we're in touch with here is just one invite away from encountering the power and the presence of Jesus in their life, giving their life to him and then watching the generations come to faith as a result. And it's incredibly powerful when we think about that, particularly in relation to testimonies, which is why it's so beautiful that we had these testimonies, because it is the power of our testimonies that invites people into the same story. Because we're saying, look at what Jesus has done in my life, and he can do the same in your life and for you. See how he transforms everything. Now, here's the problem. Whenever I talk about 
inviting people to know Jesus or talking about our faith in Jesus. I'm going to talk a little bit about the life course. That's just one way that we can make Jesus known. It starts to bring up sometimes a bit of anxiety for us as Christians. There'll be some of us here who absolutely love it. You're like evangelistic monsters. Any kind of invitation to invite other people to get to know Jesus, you can't get enough of it. You love doing it. My wife is one of these people. She can't stop herself. Every single conversation I'm ever in, she seems to have a life course flyer in her bag and she produces it at the right time. But we're not all like that, are we? For a lot of us, when we think about making Jesus known or telling other people about the person of Jesus or even inviting somebody to a Christmas service or a step later coming on a life course or coming on church on Sunday or anything like that, it fills us with anxiety, doesn't it? And there's a number of reasons for that. Probably partly, if we're brutally honest, we don't like getting rejected, do we? Because no matter how many invites we give out for this sort of thing, most of the responses are going to be, no, thank you. It's good for you. I'm not interested. Thank you very much. And that doesn't feel great. So we don't do it or we stop doing it. Partly it's because we feel like people might think that we're stupid. How could you possibly believe in a God at a time like this? Or partly it's because we feel like people might think that we're arrogant. How can you possibly believe in any kind of form of truth in the relativist society that we live in? There can't possibly be any ultimate meaning or truth. And so what I want to do tonight is just really quickly share from this passage. And what I want to do is I want to put courage into us as the family of God. Courage as we go out into our weeks and as we think about those that God might be drawing into his family. God will want to be wanting to meet with people in your life. And here's the beauty of that. You are the person who's going to introduce them to Jesus. It's not that often that people have a dream. And Jesus appears to them in the night, and then they become a Christian. It does happen. There's some amazing stories of that kind of happening. But on the whole, if I'm honest, the way people meet Jesus, it's you, and it's me, and it's inviting people on a course, or inviting someone to come to church, or simply when the moment comes up, sharing them uh, with them a little testimony of how Jesus is at work in our life. But it causes anxiety. So I just want to acknowledge that at the outset. We don't like this, and it makes us feel a little bit like, oh, no, I don't really want to do this. That's probably most of us. There is also a camp of us, and I'll be honest here, uh, some of us who are, are neither excited by that or anxious. To be honest, we're a little bit passive about it. We don't really think that it's potentially, it's kind of when Ben talks about this kind of thing or people talk about this kind of thing at church, it's great for them, it's what they're supposed to be doing, but me as a Christian, it's probably not for me, I shouldn't be engaging that sort of thing. I'm just going to get on with serving the poor or seeking social justice or doing the work, good, the good works of the kingdom, which is incredibly important, but really the making Jesus known or evangelizing or talking about the person of Jesus and telling people about the gospel, it's not for me, it's for other people. Well, if that is you, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in in a minute. There is absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. To be honest, you're the reason why the church even functions. Because evangelists, they don't like Sunday church. They tend to be out there trying to evangelize people and talk to others about Jesus. And often it's the people who are plodding on and serving the church and you're incredibly important, but also serving the local community and showing God's love. And showing God's love is incredibly important. But can I just challenge you tonight that showing God's love isn't just physically responding to need, but it's also articulating the hope that we have in Jesus. It's making the person of Jesus known in love, in power, but also in word. 
And so this series that we're on here in the evening is who are we? What are our values here as a church? And Chris spoke brilliantly last week about we are a people of faith. We step out in faith because of who Jesus is. We believe in him for all that he is going to do in our life. And tonight I want to talk about we are a people who make Jesus known. Not just in love, not just in power, but also in the articulation of the gospel, which is what we have here in Acts. So this story is, is here to put courage into us, and I hope that's what we take from it. So, Della, thank you for reading it. It's a very long passage. Just a little bit of context, because it all kind of ties in. Remember, Acts is the story of the early church. It's an exceptional story. It's very entertaining to read, and it's very powerful. And as you read it, you'll find yourself getting inspired. And what you'll probably find as you read it is, please, Lord, would you do again what you did then, now, for us in the church today? And it's very inspiring. But the context of this is Peter heals somebody who has been sat at the temple gates. So Peter Peter and John are on their way to the temple because, remember, they kept going to the temple. They were meeting day in, day out, and they were praying together. They were sharing bread, and they were seeing tons of people come to faith, but they were also Jewish, so they would still go to the temple. So they're on the way to the temple, and this beggar calls out to them and asks them for money, and Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any money, but what I do have is this. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this lame beggar is healed in an instant and starts jumping around and praising God. As you can imagine, that attracts a crowd. Lots of people start to gather around because they would have known this lame beggar because they would have passed him every day on the way to the temple and they would have known that he couldn't walk and suddenly here he is jumping around. So Peter sees this as an opportunity. Now is the moment I'm going to make the person of Jesus known. And so he starts speaking out the gospel to the people crowded around and some of them are amazed and they become Christians. Some of them are indifferent and they don't care and some of them are completely opposed to what Peter says. And as a result, Peter and John get called into the Sanhedrin because they've been very naughty boys because they're talking about the resurrection and the people of the time didn't even believe in the resurrection. They bring them into the Sanhedrin and they put them on trial. And so as they're on trial, they're being opposed by these religious leaders of the time. The Spirit fills Peter again. And he decides, well, I've just told that lot the gospel. I'm now going to tell you lot the gospel. And he tells them the gospel, and they don't know what to do with it. In fact, they go out and they start conferring. And the problem is these guys have actually done nothing wrong other than heal someone. And he's obviously healed because he's jumping around, proclaiming he's healed and running up and down. And he was lame before. So they say, well, there's nothing we can really do. But could you please stop talking about this person called Jesus? Because it's unsettling things. And in fact, for the religious leaders at the time, it would have undermined their power because this idea that the Messiah had come would have destroyed the temple system at the time. And the only reason they had authority and power was because the temple system was in place. Anyway, Peter and John say, how can we not speak about what we've seen and heard? And then they go on their way and they tell all their mates back home. They have a prayer meeting. The whole place is shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, God adds to their number. Again, we see as the name of Jesus is proclaimed as the gospel goes out, the church grows and grows and grows and grows. And our job is to learn in the same way these had it as a habitual practice in their values, but as part of being church, they made Jesus known, they proclaimed the gospel and people came to faith as a result. So three things to notice as we all do the same, because this is our job. Acts 
is narrative, okay? So it's not didactive teaching. It's not saying you should do it this way, you should do this. It's got what theologians call as pattern value. So there's things in here that are incredibly helpful for us as we try to live out faithfully what it means to follow Jesus. And guess what? They knew the person of Jesus. He was physically present with them. They saw him die on the cross, but they saw him come back to life three days later. See, the thing is, these guys were witnesses of the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. And there's great evidence to believe in it, by the way, so it's really important. But these guys were witnesses. And so when we hear about the way that they testify about the person of Jesus, it's incredibly helpful for us because they were the closest source to the person of Jesus at the time. And so when we read it, we'll find that our hearts come alive and our brains are just absolutely on fire for doing the same thing for him. But here's three things just to encourage us as we make Jesus known. First is, as we make Jesus known, there's going to be a mixed response. So in this passage, there's three different responses that happen here, and they're mixed. Firstly, we've got a bunch of people who are open. So Peter and John, they heal this lame beggar by the gates. A crowd gathers around. They share the gospel, and the some in the crowd are opened. We know they're open because at the beginning of the next section, it says that they came to believe in the person of Jesus, and they joined the church. So in our lives, there will be people who are open to the gospel of Jesus. And as we make Jesus known to them, you'll notice that they're open because they're interested and they want to talk about it. And as you share testimonies, they don't get angry or leave or laugh at you. They're interested in what Jesus is doing. And we will all have people. In fact, I think that this is becoming a larger and larger category in our lives. I would say 20 years ago when I started, wait, was it 20 years ago? No, 15 years ago when I started ministry, I would say most people that we came up against were atheists, really, if I'm honest. And it was a time of new atheism. It was at its height and people would come in and they would be angry against any kind of idea that there is a God. I would say that is less relevant now. There are still a few atheists, God bless them, and they're brilliant to have on the course. But mostly people are agnostic. They're indifferent. They don't really know what they believe, but they are open to the spiritual. In fact, I got told off the other week because we had the baptisms. I think it was one of Kirsty's friends, actually. But anyway, um, that didn't tell me off. Anyway, Hanel was walking in the park the day after, and she bumped into one of Kirsty's friends who had come to the baptism. And she was absolutely, he was absolutely lovely. But he said, and she wasn't even asking it. She said, he said, can I give you some feedback on the baptism service that you had? Can you tell Ben, stop apologizing for what he believes in? Just stop it. Don't do it anymore. Because he was like, I found it really interesting. In fact, I found it quite powerful. And I quite like what you're talking about. So stop apologizing. That is new, I think. I I mean, it probably happened 10 years ago and I missed it. But it's really happening now. It really is. People are open in our lives right now. And you'll be surprised at the tactics of the enemy to cause us to feel fearful about sharing our faith. That as we start to share it, you'll notice people won't necessarily be at your throat as they might have been 10 to 15 years ago, accusing you of believing in something that is manipulative and damaging and wrong. People are generally quite open. In fact, people are doing all sorts of strange things, like manifesting things left, right, and center to the universe. And let's be honest, that's not working for anyone. But if they're up for that, they'll probably be up for somebody who's come back to life three days after dying on a cross, being stuck in a tomb with a bunch of heavy spices and a spear gone through his side so that we all know he's definitely dead. I mean, that's more interesting than manifesting to the universe. So people are open. People are also passive. So some who gathered in this crowd, they heard Peter share the gospel and they didn't join the church. In fact, they just walked away. We're all going to have people in our lives who are like that. And here's the thing I want to say about that. Don't stop telling them about Jesus. Just keep putting it in there. 
Every opportunity you get, just sow a seed of the person of Jesus. And here's what you'll find with passive people, and I know it because I've seen it happen over many years, is when they hit a point in their life where they start to question what they've built their life on, they will start to be open to the gospel as well. And if you've already sown the seeds, it makes things a lot easier when it happens. We've had um, a lovely lady. Emma, are you here? She's not here. Okay. Um, Emma, basically, um, she lived next to us in Queen's Park in northwest London. She was actually our neighbor, two floors above us. And we got to know her quite well in the last six months that we were there. And we used to look after her kid and, and had them around a lot. And when she found out we were moving to southeast London, it was a stranger thing. She just suddenly said, well, we'll move to southeast London too. Uh, which was quite fun. She wasn't a Christian, didn't um, come to church, found the whole thing of us starting a church quite strange, but seemed to want to move to southeast London to follow us. So anyway, she came anyway, and we kind of lost touch with her over the last four years. Three weeks ago, um, she turned up at church, and she was sitting there, and it was a week where I explained very simply the gospel, and at the end, I gave people an opportunity to give their lives for, to Jesus, and in the response, she put her hand in the air, and she gave her life to Jesus. That has been four years coming, and I would say that's been, had a fairly passive response for four years, and then suddenly... It happens and the power of God moves in and she gives her life to Jesus. Some people in our life will be passive. Some people in our life will be opposed. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. So here's the application. Open, passive, opposed. Open people, make Jesus known. Passive people, make Jesus known. Opposed people, make Jesus known. Go for it. Don't stop sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's what we're called to do as Christians. There's this beautiful parable that Jesus shares about the parable of the sower. And he says that the sower should just fling the seed indiscriminately and not really worry about where it lands or how it grows. Our job as Christians is simply share the gospel with absolutely everybody we come into contact with. I remember a guy sharing um, that parable and talking about it in the context of evangelism. And the whole way through his talk, he had this backpack on. And we're all sitting there listening to him give this talk. And we're like, why has this guy got a backpack on? He's the strangest man in the world. But at the end of his talk, he takes his backpack off and he goes, puts his hand into his back. And it's full of quality streets, quality sweets. I did this last time, streets. Why are they called streets? Quality sweets that are called streets, and he puts his hand in, and he starts flinging them out into the congregation. And he said, here's what I want you to do with the gospel. This is how I want you to make Jesus known. I don't care where it lands. I don't care if that person hates the coconut one, that one loves the rose one, but the rose one went over there. Doesn't matter. Our job is just fling it out indiscriminately. Open, passive, opposed. Please share the gospel. It's our job. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about life course in a bit, but that's not the only way we do it. There's loads of ways that we do that. But one way I just want to pick up really quickly here with Peter and John is I think we need to learn to be interrupted more. What we'll find is, and we've all got this, we're busy, aren't we? We've got a schedule, we've got stuff to do. We come out of our door, we're trying to go somewhere. If you're me, you're probably late. And so you're on your way, and the idea that you might be interrupted by somebody who might be open to the person of Jesus, just, you just don't have time for it. But I think as Christians, we have to learn to start being interrupted more. See, Peter and John, they probably had to get to the temple at a certain time. I presume they had start times and services those days. So this lame beggar whom they healed, and then the whole crowd that gathered around and they shared the gospel with, probably made them late for the temple. I don't think they cared. 
I mean, look at the fruit that came about. I think as Christians, we have to be prepared to be interrupted. And when you sense just the tiniest opening for the gospel, I would just fling out whatever you've got next on and share Jesus with that person. Let's be interrupted more and more. Okay, first thing, we're going to get a mixed response. Second thing, we are likely to come up against opposition. Verse 6 and 7 says this. So Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Cephas and John and Alexander and the others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And they said, by what power or what name did you do this? Did you heal this lame beggar? So here's the thing, and we won't necessarily know this about the context, but for Peter and John being pulled up in the Sanhedrin in front of those people, it would have been terrifying absolutely terrifying. Let me tell you why it's terrifying. Because the reason that Luke names those particular people who were there, they were all the same people who were present when Jesus was brought up in front of the Sanhedrin. In fact, when Jesus was brought up in front of those same people, the same question was asked, by what authority do you do this? So when Peter and John saw those people and heard that statement, do you know what they're probably thinking? I'm about to get tried in a sham trial. It's going to be incredibly unjust, and then we're probably going to be crucified and die. Remarkable opposition to the gospel. But he goes on and he shares this gospel. And do you know what? It's incredibly offensive. See, the gospel these days isn't half as offensive as it was then. Because do you know what Peter's saying to them? He's saying, listen, Jesus, God in flesh, was here, the Messiah that the whole of your Old Testament scriptures is pointing towards, was here and you missed him. In fact, you didn't only miss him, you nailed him to a cross and you crucified You, they're standing in front of him, you crucified him. How offensive would that be? You crucified him. But let me tell you this, three days later, he came back to life and he's not just some sort of airy-fairy spirit floating around. We witnessed it. Oh, and by the way, 300 other people witnessed it and we experienced his miracle of his resurrection and his life-giving Holy Spirit as he ascended to the Father and the same power that rose him from the grave now lives in us and let me tell you how you can believe in him incredibly powerful proclamation of the gospel so opposed to the current narrative of those they were saying it to we don't have that same problem yet we're incredibly fearful of sharing the name of Jesus because it might upset someone or somebody else's truth might be offended why don't we start to try and channel some of that Holy Spirit? I'm going to speak about how we do that in a second. But I think that in a way, and I'm not trying to compare ourselves to the early church, but I think in a way it is harder for us now because a lot of the response that we get is kind of, great, it's good for you, it's good for you. I'm going to tell you what's good for me, it's good for me. And it's a little bit of a passive response and it almost doesn't mean anything. It's a bit like when I used to play my mate in tennis and all I have in my tennis game is I can hit it very hard. That's all I've got, never been trained to play tennis, but I can hit it hard. And I used to smash it as hard as I could against it. Now he was trained from an early age how to play tennis and how to beat people like me who had no idea what they were doing. And all he ever used to do is every time the ball came at him really fast, is he just pop it straight back up into the air and it would go wee and just land in my half and then I'd have to work up all this energy again and smash the ball back to him and then he would just pop it back up and go wee 
It's a bit like that when we share the gospel these days. It just kind of meets this response. And that makes it really hard for us to keep pressing in, keep pressing in, keep pressing into the good news of the gospel. Because I promise you, once they get a taste of the transformation they can have in the person of Jesus, they won't be lobbing it back. Either they'll get really angry and they'll smash it as hard as they can, or they'll be open and they'll play tennis. Not tennis, a different game with you and on your team. Okay, so how do we wind ourselves up? How do we keep pressing in? There's three things from this passage, but it's all encapsulated in this one statement. This is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to make Jesus known. We need to spend time with him. Verse 13, it says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, this is the people who crucified Jesus, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, these rulers knew the person of Jesus. They crucified him. And then they're confronted with Peter and John, like, these guys had the same thing he had. What is that? What does it mean to spend time with Jesus? Well, for them, they literally spent time with Jesus. And then when he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. We have that same Holy Spirit living and residing in us so that we can spend time in the presence of Jesus now. But even just as good as that, we also have the New Testament. These guys were working just off the Old Testament at the time, but then they started writing down their experiences of Jesus. So the whole of the Old Testament points towards the person of Jesus. The whole of the Gospels are about the person of Jesus. And the whole of the New Testament letters are what life is like because of what Jesus has done and because of who he is. And so we get to read this and spend time with the person of Jesus. And then we find that we're being filled with the Holy Spirit as we do it. And then we find that it gives us power in order to be able to do what we're being called to do. So what is the result of us spending time with Jesus? Reading our Bible, praying, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Firstly, we receive authority. Verse 13, it says that they were astonished. Unschooled, ordinary men, astonished. And took note that they'd been with Jesus. What are they talking about there? They could not believe the authority that they had when they spoke. And that same authority is available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we spend time with Jesus, what you'll find is his authority starts to rub off on you. And you start to be able to speak with the same authority about what he has done in your life, but also who he is, what he did on the cross, the fact that he's resurrected from the dead and his spirit can live in us and transform our very lives. And do you know what this does for us? It takes the pressure off. It doesn't mean that we have to stand here and try really hard to have any kind of authority or mean what we're saying. We have authority as we spend time with the person of Jesus. So if you find that when you talk about Jesus to other people and you find it lacks any power, it lacks any authority, can I tell you what to do? Don't try and have more authority. Don't try and practice what you're going to say. Don't try and read all the right kind of articles about evangelism or how to share your faith. Just spend time with Jesus. The more you spend time with the person of Jesus, the more authority you'll have when you speak about him. Second thing that happens when we spend time with him is that it will start to become natural. This is my favorite, favorite verse in the entire Bible. They say this in 
Uh, verse 13, no, verse 18, it says this, from verse 18. They said, then they called them in again. So they have a little conflict, send them out, have a little conflict. What are we going to say to these guys? And they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So whatever it is that you're talking, can you just not do it, please? Because it's undermining our authority. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, punchy, you be the judges. As, and this is it. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen with our own eyes and what we have heard. When you shared testimonies earlier, do you know what that is? It's seeing and it's hearing. When we experience the transformation of Jesus in our own lives, what is that? It's seeing and it's hearing. And as we start to experience his transformation in our life and the transformation of Jesus in all of our lives, we're going to get to a point where we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. And the reason we're doing that is because we want everybody to see and hear and be transformed in the same way. See, so often non-Christians will come into church and a subject like evangelism is mentioned and they'll say, this just confirms all my worst suspicions. They don't really want to know me. They don't really like me. They just want to get me in here so they can bash me over the head with the gospels when the opposite is the truth. Because as we spend time with Jesus, all we're really doing is we're sharing testimonies of his transformation in our lives and in the lives of the other people that we know. And we cannot help but do it. Why? Because we know that the transformation is available for them too. It's not about clocking up numbers. It's not about trying really hard to do something we don't want to do. It's about the overflow of transformation in our own lives. Now, you remember I mentioned about the not opposed, not excited about evangelism crowd? Um, and there's many in our church who are like that. There's many in the Western church who are like that. It's kind of like evangelism's like, it's kind of some people do it, but I don't really see the need to do it. If that is you, can I encourage you to come on the next life course? Because what will happen is in your groups, you'll see people who are way further away from faith than you ever were. And you'll watch them experience Jesus. You'll watch them get transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll see them get baptized at this very service on Sunday night. And then you will not be able to not speak about what you've seen and heard. Did I get that right? Not speak. Good. So come on the life course if that's you. It will become natural to us. Third thing that happens as we spend time with Jesus, we're filled with the Spirit. Verse 8, notice this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, shared the gospel. Right at the end, what happens? After they prayed, the whole place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I didn't know about this until I started think, uh, kind of researching more on this text, but Luke, who wrote Acts, also wrote the gospel of Luke. The only time that he speaks about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, every single time he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's all in the context of sharing the gospel of Jesus. So we often talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit because we want the good stuff. We want the fruits of the Spirit. We want the gifts of the Spirit. We want to be transformed from the inside out. We want the oppressed to be set free. We want all of this kind of stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. But guess why the early church were filled with the Holy Spirit? It's to share the gospel. It's to make Jesus known. Not exclusively, and other writers talk about being filled in lots of different ways. But for Luke, that was central to the narrative. The reason we get filled with the Holy Spirit is so that we have power 
to share the gospel and to make Jesus known. So if we spend time with Jesus, his authority is going to rub off on us. We won't be able to help but speak about what we've seen and heard. It will become natural, natural part of our lives. But thirdly, we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with courage. So let's get really practical. How are we going to do this? Will we run something here called the Life Course? On your seat, can you just grab this flyer and wave it in the air? <clears throat> just so I know you got it. Everyone got one? Brilliant. There's more on the table on the way out. Feel free to take some others. And this is a course that we run three times a year here. You can come on it. If you've not done it, come on it yourself and you can enjoy it. Just put a note if you're a Christian. Just put a note on when you do it on the website in the little box. Say, I'm a Christian, but I'd love to do a life course. We would love to have you on the course anyway. But the reason that we run this course, it is a brilliant way of making Jesus known to our friends and to our families and to our work colleagues. We start really far back. So we don't mention Jesus until week three. For weeks one and two, all we talk about is purpose. So we talk about meaning and we talk about purpose. Week one, very light touch. Watch what meaning or purposes do you attribute to your life? Week two, we start to talk about whether religion or whether atheism or agnosticism or science can give any kind of overarching purpose to our life. And then in week three, we start to uh, kind of talk about whether purpose can be made known in the form of a person. And that's when we talk about Jesus. By the time we get to week three, we've had two weeks of group time with everybody who's come and we've become relationally really involved and got to know people and they can trust us then. And week three goes off really well as a result. And so it's a really great way to invite people and get people to come along and then eventually to hear about Jesus. Now, there is a short presentation that either Alice or I will do. Before that, there's a brilliant meal that Mags is going to cook and people really enjoy the food. But after that, the people the thing that people enjoy the most is the meal time, uh, the group time, sorry, after the talk. So they enjoy the meal too. Um, in the group, they get to discuss, and it's a bunch of other like-minded people. And the people leading the group don't just shove Jesus down people's throat. It's an open discussion. We say, what do you think about that talk? And people talk about how much they hated it or how much they disagree with it. Some people go, well, I don't really care about that. And everybody just has a nice chat. And then what you find is as you go along, people start to discover the person of Jesus. And it's very, very powerful. Now, can I just, just address one thing? Why do we need to do a course? Surely, as a church, it should be a little bit more like Acts 2. Surely, it should just be a natural thing that's happening all the time. We should have the hordes coming in. In fact, when we walk past somebody near the tube, they should be walking as a result of our prayer and then crowds should gather around at Broccoli Station. We'll proclaim the gospel and then thousands will be added to our number. I want that to happen. I want that. I really want that. Please believe me when I say I want that. I am praying for a move of the Holy Spirit in Broccoli at St. Peter's across Southeast London, in London, so that we see that happen. But can I be brutally honest with you? It's not happening right now. It's really not. And even when it does happen, and I believe it will happen, we're still going to need something like this. Because no matter how long your talk is, like Peter... Seven weeks is a lot easier to really start to get to grips on the detail of the gospel. So this is a great discipleship thing. I would love to use this as a discipleship course, not as a coming to faith course. So people come in, they've already experienced the power of Jesus. They've got kind of a basic understanding of the gospel and what Jesus has done. But then on this course, we go into more detail and we talk it through and we start to disciple people. But at the moment, that is not happening. I want it to happen. And guess what? If we start to pay attention to that third point of spending time with Jesus so that we grow in authority, it becomes more natural, we're filled more with the Spirit, it will start happening. So... It's only a matter of the time. It depends how much we engage with that. But in the meantime, why don't we do this? Because it's a really, really easy invite. So take this flyer with you. And in a moment, we're going to pray for someone in your life. 
Um, you're going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I don't know the people in your life. But you're going to ask God for a name of somebody in your life who you're going to give this flyer to. Or you could go on the website on the front page. There's a little button that says Life Course Invite. And you can download that and you can spam everyone in your emails. Nobody uses emails these days. You can do it on Instagram. Rose can do it on TikTok. And others, Temi, you'll be on TikTok. No one else is on TikTok. And we're just going to tell everybody about the life course, and then we're going to have a really good fun time as a result. And what is that? That's just scattering the seed. Just scatter the seed. You'll know people in your life who are particularly open. Then I would suggest they're the people to invite as well, particularly. Give them a phone call, but the rest just scatter the seed. Now, here's what will happen if we start growing as a church. It will be the most exciting church that you've ever been a part of. I've been a part of a church that has grown mostly through conversion. And let me tell you now, it is incredibly messy, which is really fun, but it's also incredibly powerful. And it's the most fun kind of church to be a part of. I love all of you. I really do. I think you're amazing. I love our morning congregation. I think they're amazing. But currently, we're growing more through transfer growth, which again, I don't mind, particularly if you come from churches where they don't really emphasize evangelism or the power of the Spirit, and you're coming here. I'm glad you're here, and I think it's really important. But if I'm honest, I don't want to see more of you come from other churches. I want to see people in your lives, in the streets, on your workplaces, in your families, on your friendship groups, come to know the person of Jesus and we'll grow the church that way. Let me tell you, it will be so much more fun as a result. Let's stand.